Almighty God, how amazing and awesome you are. You hold us in the palm of your hand, and we are so insignificant. We look at the heavens and the stars and the galaxies, we think upon of their, their massive size and how small we are. <clears throat> we are so undeserving of your kindness and your generosity and your love. Your love is greater than all the heavens. And Lord, we are so undeserving. We know that even the greatest of the things that we can imagine about you are just figments shadows of how great you truly are. Heavenly Father, how amazing and grand and how deep the mystery of your love. Lord, we look at Jesus and the way he loved his church. How awesome is Jesus. Jesus, we are so lost without you our sin and our failure, our complete lack of faith, drag us back. We fail to look to you when we should. Jesus, we come this morning. We ask you to come down and be with us, to remind us so that we do not fall short. Let us not follow after our own hearts, but to you and you only, open our hearts. God, give us the wisdom to heed the words of your prophet Isaiah this morning, to understand them. Give us discernment, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Olympics are finally over, right? Closing ceremony was last Sunday night. All of us watched that. I'm sure none of you watched Olympics. So mom was still visiting at that point. And uh, my mom went to university in Japan. And the two sports that my mom did, believe it or not, are volleyball and gymnastics. So um, if, if there was volleyball or gymnastics on, the TV was on, turned way up because mom's a little hard of hearing now. And, and uh, we saw that. Um, the other sport that we have to watch all of it is the swimming. I, I don't know how much you guys are aware of how good a swimmer Leanne is or was. Um, two summers when we were dating, she was a, a lifeguard. And this particular group of lifeguards, they all went to uh, Irvine, UC Irvine, which is known as a swimming school swim team school. And um, three of them there were going to the Olympic trials. Um, one of them was invited, just outright. And then uh, he was the, the head lifeguard. And then the other two guys had accumulated enough um, finishes, good finishes, at the regionals that they also were able to get in. And. Um, Every time they would go exercise in the morning, it was a race. 
and the two guys that eventually got their way into the trials, Leanne could beat those guys. And that did not make them feel very good at all. Leanne is a really good swimmer. So, um, and of course the track and field is always amazing. And this year, um, US women just dominated. It was, it was truly, the guys, I don't know, they, they couldn't even get the baton around the, the field several times. And, and uh, the women, just amazing. Um, the four women that were in the four by 400 final, um, one of them lives in Santa Clarita down here. And uh, um, the local news spectrum um, is always running something about her. Um, oh, um, Allison Felix. And uh, she ju she's, she's just retired as an Olympian. She's 35. She has a three-year-old daughter. Um, she had some problems with her sponsorship uh, when she was pregnant. And so she cut ties with that company. And uh, I won't mention their name, but we aren't buying any Nike products anymore in our house. I'm just saying. Um, <clears throat> the women's pole vault, that was also amazing to watch. The, the American lady, she's 30 and she cleared that height. She'd never been that high before. And uh, she knew as soon as she cleared the bar, she hadn't even hit the mat yet. And she was screaming her head off because she knew she won the gold medal. It, it, was, it was really, I mean, we were just cracking up. And then of course the, the final for the four by 400 amongst the women. And I, I, there were three of them continually, every time they, they were interviewed, they were talking about joy and grace. And I'm going, I'll bet those women are Christians. So I went up and looked at their bios, and sure enough, they are. Those three women were, were Christians. And I mean, it was obvious. On national TV, NBC, it was obvious that those, those women were Christians. And I'm going, right on. I love that. So we're all olympic out, and um, I won't start on baby granddaughter. We would be here all afternoon. Bill finished off chapter 36 of Isaiah last week with, with the uh, Rabbi Shekah, and uh, we're going to get through the first half of chapter 37 today, verses 1 to 20. And this section right here is sort of this prose right in the middle of Isaiah. And it's setting something up. Um, Isaiah is, there, there's a specific thing that Isaiah is trying to get to. And all of this up till now has been background, okay? And this week and next week is the end of the background for the message that Isaiah, this is the reason God created Isaiah is to deliver this message. And that message is going to, we're, we're going to be done with all the background next week. I promise. And um, Bill's going to start on the, the, the really great stuff about why Isaiah came. 
and it's going to be so obvious when we run, I mean, over and over and over again, you're going to hear this message, this, this same thing. We're, we're both going to be saying this about Isaiah when we get there. Um, so uh, this week has three really critical pieces in it. One is uh, actually chapter 37, sorry, three critical pieces. One is Hezekiah's plight and what he does about it, okay? And then second is the interaction between God, Hezekiah, and Isaiah. And then the third part we're going to cover next week, and that is to look at the Assyrian Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. So this is the last part of the oracle of the Assyrians. Um, There's something I need to tell you about the Assyrians at this point. The Assyrians had conquered everything from Pakistan all the way up eastern Turkey and then all the way down to Sudan in Africa. I mean, if you can imagine that much territory, they they probably owned 80% of the civilized world at that time, just this one king. And all of it, except there was this little tiny kidney bean in the middle of it, and it was Judah, Hezekiah. And so, I mean, this is literally a thorn in the back of the king of Assyria. And so it becomes obvious why he is here and why he does what he's, he's doing. Hezekiah, on the other hand, um, you have to imagine that, that when you look at all the kings, Hezekiah has the same throne. He owns the throne of Jerusalem. He is the king of Jerusalem. He has the title that belonged to Melchizedek all the way back when, when uh, Abraham first came and saw the mount. Melchizedek was the king of Salem, of Jerusalem at that time. And Hezekiah is now the king. And unlike most of the kings, the screw-ups and the, the downright, outright evil kings that, that ran Israel, Hezekiah was not one of those. And uh, I want to read you a couple of short passages about Hezekiah, just so you get this, this passage, this background here. Um, this is Second Chronicles 29. Second Chronicles 29, and I'm going to read verses 3 to 6, 3 to 6. And then verse 20. Verse 20. So first, this is uh, 2 Chronicles 29, 3-6. So Hezekiah cleanses the temple. Now I want you to imagine this. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Now I want you to get this, okay? The doors to the temple had fallen into disrepair the temple was not being used. Nobody could get in and out because the doors were broke. The first thing Hezekiah has them do is to fix the doors. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east. And he said to them, Hear me, Levites, 
Now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him, and they have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. All the previous kings had brought in all the idolatrous gods and had erected idolatrous gods in the temple of the Lord. And Hezekiah says, get that garbage out of there. And that's what he tells the priests to do. So this is what Hezekiah does when he first comes to power. Okay? And there's something else that they had not been doing. So if they hadn't been using the temple, you can imagine what they're doing with all the festivals and all the traditions that they're supposed to be following in order to honor God. Goose egg. Zip. Nothing. So, verse 20. So, Second Chronicles 29, verse 20. Hezekiah restores temple worship. Then Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the officials of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. Hezekiah here is one of the great kings of Israel. He does what he is supposed to do. He is a leader. He is leading God's people in worship of the God of heaven. This is who Hezekiah is. We think of all the celebrations and the festivals of the Lord that happen all through the king of David and Solomon, but that's not the way it is, actually. David and Solomon, despite all those things, had fallen away greatly by the end. The holy customs that had been reduced and the scriptures that were not being followed. Hezekiah realizes this and makes an honest attempt to restore those things before God's people. This is what Hezekiah is trying to do. Hezekiah is one of the great kings of Israel. Okay, with that understanding, let's go ahead and start today's passage. So, Isaiah 37, verse 1. And recall, Bill's, Bill's closing the Rabshakeh had come and had delivered not the message you would expect of someone who worships God, right? Says, what are you guys doing? Just lay your stuff down. No help is coming. And he blasphemes against God. So Hezekiah. And the messengers come back and deliver the message to Hezekiah. And here's what happens to Hezekiah. So this is chapter 37. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. So this is the custom amongst all peoples. Whenever great disaster befalls them, they tear their clothes and then they wear sackcloth. Bill explained the Reb Shekah insults the messengers from King Hezekiah and sends them back. And the messengers deliver the message to Hezekiah, and he is distressed. The tearing of his clothes and the wearing of rough, coarse sackcloth is the traditional sign of grief and distress. Verse 2, this is what Hezekiah does. He sends Eliakim, who is over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, 
and the senior priest covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz. Hezekiah sends his leaders, his envoys, also in sackcloth, to speak to the prophet Isaiah. In verses 3 and 4, okay? And they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So the envoys of Hezekiah explain to Isaiah the king's distress, and Hezekiah asks for prayer for the remnant that are left. This event is also recorded in 2 Kings, 2 Kings 19. Um, let me read to you 2 Kings 19, 1 through 4. 2 Kings 19, 1 through 4. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went to the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna the secretary, and the senior priest, covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come forth to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of the Rebshekah, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So the very first part and the very tail end is almost word for word identical to what we have out of Isaiah. But the, there's bits added there in the middle. Okay. This event is also recorded in 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 32. So 2 Chronicles 32, 1 to 23. I'm going to grab just a short excerpt out of that. I'm recommending you go read that. 2 Chronicles 32, 1 to 23. But I'm only going to read you verses 7 and 8. So this is verses 7 and 8. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria, and all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people, the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. Hezekiah was a great king. He followed after God. He did what God demanded of him. So if we continue on in Isaiah now, Isaiah 37, verses 5 through 7. And when the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words of the Lord, the words that you have heard, with which the young men of the king of Assyria had reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, 
and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. So here in verses 5 through 7, Isaiah prophesies that Assyria shall not win, and even more so, Sennacherib shall die violently in his own land. Continuing on, verse 8. The Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard the king had left Lachish. So the Rabshakeh returns and finds the army engaged with the cities of Lachish and Libna. So, you know, as soon as it starts mentioning places, I have to go dig up the map and find out where these places are. So it turns out that uh, Lachish, we know where that city is. It's about 12 miles to the, east, uh, to the west and slightly to the south of Jerusalem. So down the west side of the mountain and slightly to the south. And Libna, we think, because it's a lost city, we think it's about four miles north of where Lachish is, where the ruins are there. So it's also some 10 to 12 miles west of Jerusalem. And there's a ruins there, and that's possibly Libna. Lachish, there's a Palestinian village. Uh, Kobebet ibn Awad is next to the mound ruins of Lachish. And that is 12 miles west and slightly south of the Temple Mount. And there's a national park there, and there's a... a, a uh, uh, archaeological dig at the site in order to try and find that what's, what was going on to this city, Lachish. Okay. Isaiah, verses 9 through 11. Isaiah 37, 9 through 11. Now the king heard concerning Tikhara, excuse me, Tikharaka, Turhaka, Turhaka, king of Cush, Turhaka. All right. He has set out to fight against you, and when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, devoting them to destruction, and you shall be delivered. Now the Turhakah was the king of Cush. He was a pharaoh of Egypt. And it turns out that there are carvings in the Valley of the Kings in Egypt about this particular pharaoh. Behold, he is set out to fight against you. And so... He sends messengers again to Hezekiah, saying, Sennacherib speaks blasphemy against the Lord. And Sennacherib sends a message. So this goes all the way, word of this event goes all the way down into the Sudan, all the way through the Nile River Valley to Sudan. This was not a minor thing that was going on. Verses 12 and 13. Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezeth, 
and the people of Eden who were in Tel Telassar. Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the Sephiraphim, Sephiravim, the king of Hina, or the king of Iva? These are all cities that had been conquered by Sennacherib. You can see what Hezekiah and his people are thinking at this point. We stand absolutely no chance, except Hezekiah knows they have God on their side. And this is the fundamental difference. Sennacherib's message lists off his great accomplishments, his overwhelming destructive power, and the swath of destroyed kingdoms left in the wake of his armies. This is all the way through the Fertile Crescent, all the way from Pakistan, eastern Turkey, down through modern Lebanon and Israel, all the way through Egypt and down to the modern Sudan. If all of this belongs to Assyria, except for this one small kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, and Judah alone remains unconquered, Sennacherib wants to obliterate the kingdom of Judah. Verses 14 and 15. Hezekiah, this is what Hezekiah does. And this tells you about the nature of the character of Hezekiah. Hezekiah prays for deliverance. Verses 14 and 15. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. So Hezekiah heeds the words of Isaiah, and he humbles himself. He ascends the mountain to the mountain of God, to the temple. And Hezekiah spreads the message from Sennacherib before the altar of the Most High Living God. And Hezekiah bows his body and prays to God. And Hezekiah says this, verse 16, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Notice how Hezekiah starts here by bringing praise to God, how he establishes God's position, far exalted above us, and how small and insignificant we are. Hezekiah pleads before God. Going on, verse 17. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Hezekiah pleads the demands of Sennacherib before the altar. How Sennacherib is mocking God. Hezekiah continues on. Verses 18 and 19. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands, and they have cast their gods into the fire. 
For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. Hezekiah explains the human solutions that people had at that time. How they all grasped at the wrong things. These things, the wrong answers. God alone owns the universe and what happens. Continuing on, verse 20. So now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. And Hezekiah pleads the case of God's people before the Lord, so that all the peoples will know that God alone is the owner and the creator of the universe. So I'm going to stop here at this point because what happens next, Isaiah talks about what happens to Sennacherib. And the ultimate fate of Sennacherib, I'll bet the other community group has already read ahead and, and knows what happens here. This is a fascinating story. And the story is recorded not just in the Bible. It turns out that there are stones carved in the Euphrates Valley that speaks of what happens to Sennacherib. And we're going to talk about that next week. I'm going to leave you hanging. There is much suffering getting to this point. God's people do not have an easy life. But there is God's promise in the end. Isaiah is calling to us. Isaiah is telling us what God is saying. Can you see what God is doing here? And in the background, you have to stand way back and look. Can you see the imprint of Jesus there, waiting above all to save all of God's people in Isaiah's words? What God has planned at this point is far greater than anything that we can imagine. And certainly none of the people then could imagine it either. Are we seeing and hearing anew God's calling to us every day? Again, going back to my what do you do in the morning? And I have to admit, this morning, of all days, I roll out of bed and I go, man, my feet hurt. And I'm just grumpy. And I go into the bathroom, and, and my feet actually hurt. Real quick. Um, I have 4,500 steps today so far. So that's over two miles. So grumpy feet, and I'm still two miles deep into them today. I'm forgetting to rely on God, to, to talk to Jesus first. And I need to do that. Isaiah is pointing us back towards God. He's telling us to look to Jesus. It, it doesn't sound like it right now. There's all these other things that are going on. But that's exactly what Isaiah is doing. God loves us. We look at the chaos in the world, the rising numbers in the coronavirus again. Um, we just had to cancel one of my events uh, 
every Labor Day, the Soaring Society, the Western Workshop for the Soaring Society. This is the second one in a row we had to cancel. Um, we're not going to have it again this, this year. We canceled last year, last Labor Day. This Labor Day, we're not going to do it again. God knows all about it. But God expects us to bring that to him in prayer and give it to him and stop getting all worked up about it like I do. I need God's power of forgiveness. And despite all this, God still comes down, meets us where we live, and forgives us. I think about the faith that Isaiah had, how Isaiah displays his hold to the anchor, how God is his rock, and how this serves God's righteousness. Ultimately, all of this serves God's greatness also. His greatness will be there for all to see on the day of the Lord. And we will all witness his greatness and splendor on that day. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are so incredible and great and so powerful. And we are so weak and poor of will. Lord, you have kept your promise to us, spoken to us by Isaiah, handed down through all these years as scripture for us to have. And down through the ages, you have made sure they would be there to be given to us. Lord, we have been unfaithful. We keep trying to save ourselves. We look to Egypt. We look to our idols. And you forgive us for all of that. We want to hear your words in Isaiah. You continue to hold us in the palm of your hand and cover us. And you lovingly guide us and care for us. Heavenly Father, hide your word in our hearts, the words through Isaiah. We read the words of your prophet here. We ask you to write those words deep down inside of us. Give us the lessons that we must learn along the way as only you can teach us and guide us in your perfect path. Your plan of redemption is so amazing. Let us not try and change your rock. Jesus, you died in our place to redeem us, to save us. Lord Jesus, you are so amazing. We love you. We bless you and honor you. And we praise you, the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen.